I know what it's like to like walk out there the first time and kind of like look up and be like, whoa, boy, like here we go. You kind of have to get that out of the way early on because at the end of the day, like this is a work trip. So, you know, let's focus on that. Just getting here is really hard. Eugene is an awesome place, but like finding housing is really hard. And so having these support programs like the amateur support program is super helpful. And it's nice. I finally have some gear that's not from college. I've been running in my college gear for the last two years. Like I don't I don't I don't have the money just to go and like spend on running clothes, right? Like it's just not a priority, right? Like the priority is saving, you know, seven hundred bucks for a plane ticket or like, you know, having money to spend on the hotel or food when I'm actually at the meet. I mean, you know, the most unpredictable thing that you could think could happen, that's what I'm going for. Welcome back. As the U.S. Track and Field Championships plays out this weekend, competitors from across America will be rolling the dice. For many high-achieving amateur athletes, this is an opportunity not to miss, but sometimes help and support goes a long way to get them to the line. Tracksmith's amateur support program aims to help athletes pursue their track and field dreams, acting as a stepping stone from the amateur elite into the pro ranks. This week, we were lucky enough to catch up with two recipients of this initiative on the eve of their first round race. First up was Alexina Teubel, a steeplechaser who has been having great success dropping down to the 15 with a PB of 4.05. Let's get into the interview. Alexina, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Really excited to have you on so close to the US Championship. So full disclosure, we're recording this on, on Wednesday. You've just got back from collecting your credentials, the pre-meet, the kind of boring administrative stuff is done. Now it's time for the racing. And I'm really excited to sort of share with our UK listeners a little bit of kind of knowledge and understanding about the the, the championships, how it all works, how one gets involved, and then we'll kind of dive into your running story. So I appreciate this is probably quite a big question, but could you give the English listeners a bit of a, a, a US Championships 101? Yes, of course. Um, so typically each year, um, about halfway through um, the year, usually around, you know, December, uh, January, they'll come out with the US Championship standards for that upcoming summer. And so that'll include like time standards, distance standards, um, but then also field sizes. So basically there's like the A standard. If you hit the specific mark that they list as the qualifier for the championships, you're automatically in. Um, but then also the field size is kind of a, left a little bit up to their discretion in terms of it may say, you know, we'll accept 24 in this event. Um, and so if, you know, come two weeks out from the championships, there are not 24 people that have hit that mark, they could potentially fill the field. So there's no like guarantee in mm. that, um, which can be hard for some people if they're on the brink and, mm. you know, it costs a lot to get to the championship. So it can be a little bit tricky for some people. So if you'd like to guarantee yourself an opportunity hitting the, whatever the standard is, is the best option. Um, and typically they accept marks from within the previous calendar year. So usually, you know, at the prelim the year prior, that's usually when the window starts. So people could have started qualifying um, anytime last year when the prelims kicked off for um, the championships last summer. And that runs all the way up until the week before the championships this year. So that's kind of the qualifying window that you have. Um, there are also some like other avenues, you know, if you're a world champion or an Olympic champion, you're going to get an automatic bid in um, things to those matter. But yes, in terms of qualifying for the meet, um, we get a set standard and you're guaranteed an opportunity in if you hit said standard. <laughs> Amazing. What like an incredible educational resource. You can also tell <laughs> like that you're a coach as well, because you were very good at like explaining oh, that. Good. <laughs> uh, I thought was, that was brilliant. What, what an insightful kind of insight into that process. So what, what has been your journey to the championships this year then? How has your season been? Because I know yeah. last year it wasn't quite how you wanted it mm -hmm. to pan out. And you, you've had a few kind of experiences with the US Championship. So what's been your journey to, to getting ready to... Yes. Yeah, so this was my first year um, since being 
since just graduating college that I didn't come into the season with a mark already. Last year, right before the US championships, actually like the week of, I knew I had an injury. I just wasn't sure what it was. Mm. And I ended up having to withdraw from the championships like when I was already here. Uh, I ended up having a sacral stress fracture. So I didn't have the opportunity to run at the championships. So therefore, I did not have a mark coming into this year, which was nerve wracking. Mm. Um, I knew I was more than capable of hitting the marks. It's just, you know, when you're coming off of a, an injury, you don't know when you'll be ready necessarily. Um, and so I actually didn't start running until late November this past year and didn't really start training at a normal level, um, until closer to like January, February. So had a little bit of nerves in during that time, just wondering, you know, when I was going to be ready, that sort of thing. Um, and I'm typically a steeple chaser. So my, my background is definitely more in the middle distance events, but post-college I bumped up to the steeple. Um, but being that I had a, a relatively bad injury last year, um, we decided to focus on the 1500 this year, a flat event where I wouldn't have to worry so much about hurdling, mm. Um, basically just trying to protect myself for next year, the Olympic trials so that I do have the possibility of doing the steeple next year. Um, so the season kind of started off a little slow. Like you mentioned, I also coach, so I coach at the university of Northern Iowa. And so my season is really dictated on their season. Mm. And so I can fit in a couple races, um, throughout the regular um, college track season, I did the Drake relays, which is mid April. Um, and that was like my kind of opener. Um, but then I basically have to wait until the college season finishes up before I really start racing. Uh, but I started off on a really good note and, um, yeah, each race has been a strong one. Um, I've been really happy with each of my 1500 miles that I've done. I even did an 800. Um, so I ended up lowering my peep. PR, um, in the 1500 to 405, um, back beginning of June. Um, so that's the current mark I'm sitting on. I think I am capable of more than that. So I'm looking forward to this week, um, being able to get in a great competitive opportunities, um, in the prelim and the final and kind of see where that lands me. But yeah, so far, um, I've had a really good season and I'm just really grateful to be healthy and, able to be racing in these meets. And honestly, I've, I've been really surprised with how fast my fitness came back around. Um, and I've been having a lot of fun with the shorter events this year. I love that. And I know this is audio only this podcast, but listeners, you have a big smile on your face as you're describing, <laughs> describing your season, which is lovely. And it, and it sounds like you, you were saying then that, you know, perhaps you kind of got into the swing of training a little later than you would have liked, but it yeah. seems to have not held you back. I mean, what would you put that down to? Were you, were you cross training as well? Like, were you supplementing your training, but like, yeah, how, how has it sort of played out? Yeah. It's honestly been pretty crazy. Like I look back on it and I'm just like, that's nuts. Like, I, <laughs> like it's crazy that I'm like running this fast right now. And I started so much later. Um, and honestly, like during my period of not being able to run, um, some advice with a sacral stress injury to not cross train at all. Um, I, I did. Um, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like I was doing two hours a day. Um, you know, it was just kind of like doing enough to stay sane, mm. um, and try and keep some fitness. Uh, I think I really have to attribute, um, being able to come around to good fitness just in like years of experience. Like it just seems like the longer I do this, the faster I get into shape. Um, but still at the same time, you're, that's just, it, it seems too easy that I got <laughs> here so fast. Um, so it's just more than anything, it's just like a little surprising, but I'm, I'm loving it. I'm really happy to be where I'm at. Um, and I think I, yeah, just have to attribute it to years of experience and just like, yeah, when you've been doing this for mm. this long, like the training effect over years and years and years, isn't taken away by, three months of not being able to run. So, um, definitely don't have any, like, Oh, if you cross train two hours every day, you'll stay fit during injury. Like 
uh, there were some days I did like 30 minutes. So mm-hmm. it was really just like, what can you do to stay sane and like bide your time till you're able to run again? <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah. No, no sort of hot take, quick fix solutions. No. <laughs> absolutely. Like, and you're absolutely right. That kind of cumulative thing of years of experience mm-hmm. compounding that has allowed you to jump back. And I'm curious as a coach, like when you're reflecting or thinking about your own performance in training, what, what, what is the kind of the split in, in one's head of that? Like when you were reflecting on your own thing, like how much is the sort of rational coach side of your brain sort of saying, okay, let's be, let's be careful. Let's be measured. And how much is yeah. the sort of competitive athlete of like, this is going really well. Let's see how far we can push it. Yes. So I I feel like the coaching part of me, it's more like I see athletes do things and I'm like, wow, that's like, you know, that's super inspiring or Mm. that's uh, a lesson that I can learn from them um, and kind of use that in my own craft. Um, I noticed more so when I self-reflect, it would be, um, you know, if I'm just like, on a race day, any, any like negative thought that I would have, I'm like, boy, I would be very upset if I had an athlete thinking this way. Like, uh, it it helps me, you know, outwardly, I'm definitely not going to say anything negative regards to training or racing, things like that. And I think that kind of translates to like how you're thinking internally. Um, because I, I don't want to say anything I wouldn't want my athlete to say. So I think that that kind of helps me keep, uh, a positive mindset. And, you know, when dealing with injury again, they see me every day. So they Mm. saw me through that whole time period of being injured and being really upset about it. Um, but just when they're asking me questions about it, I have to make sure that my responses are Mm. what I would want them to hear and not just me venting about being injured and how upsetting it is because they're going to go through things like that too. So um, I think it helps me be a better athlete when I think about like, well, I have people listening to what I'm saying and people watching what I'm doing. So I need to make sure I'm on my, my best behavior. <laughs> yeah. That, that's gotta be hard though, right? There's gotta be days where you don't, yeah. where you want to turn that filter off. Yes, it definitely can be. Um, and I, I think it, I'm not perfect. I've, I've definitely like said things that I'm like, Hey, don't ever think like that <laughs> or something, something along those lines. And I think I've learned like the longer I've been doing it. Um, it just comes more naturally. Like I don't have to really think about it, but yeah, I mean, especially when you're, when you're going through like a really serious injury and like I take running very seriously, it's, a uh, you know, one of my main priorities, whereas, you know, it's not all of the athletes that I work with, like some of them. Yes, it is. But not all of them. So they probably think I'm a little crazy when I, (laughs) the way I look at things and like how much it impacts, um, basically my quality of life (laughs) when Mm. I am able to train. Um, but I think especially in this comeback, I've just been super grateful for the opportunity to race and like being healthy and fit and ready to race. And so I think that's what I talk about a lot with my athletes is just like, you know, on race day is like, you're going to have a lot of nerves. It, it can be really scary. There's a lot of pressure, but at the same time, like there's this really awesome opportunity for you to do something you've never done before. And so I like to think about it like that and, you know, talk about it like that so that they see it more as like an opportunity for something really great to happen versus, oh, wow, I have to go do this thing. That's really scary and, and stressful. I love that. I love that perspective. And uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's lovely hearing you articulate that. Now talking about taking things seriously, a very serious thing is is rapidly approaching. We're, we're getting into the business end of competition. So for you going forward, what does the rest of the week look like? And how have you been preparing kind of training wise leading up to, mm-hmm. to the 1500 for, for the championships this weekend? Yeah, so it's always been like a big goal of mine to run the 1500 at the US Championships. Um, I was a 1500 runner coming out of college and the steeple was kind of like my, my gateway into post-collegiate running. I thought I had potential there and that was going to be the best way to kind of like get my foot in the door. Mm. Um, so I am so excited to be able to step back down to like the event that kind of like got me started in track, um, and just, you know, be able to run with the best in the country. And so being that I've made the final steeple multiple times, I know the 1500 is a lot different. Um, in the steeple kind of four laps in, you kind of know, like, am I in position to make the final or am I not, Mm. um, in the 1500, I think it's going to be a lot different. So 
um, kind of ready for any kind of race tomorrow. I've run the 1500, a couple different ways this season. Um, and I also did kind of a, um, I guess, uh, simulation of the championships by doing a race on a Thursday, taking a day between and then racing again on Saturday. So, um, that's where I ran my 1500 PR was that Saturday. Um, and that was two days after running a mile PR. So I feel really confident that I'm going to be able to double back well, um, and know that like, I might feel terrible on the day, but like, I'm more than capable of running fast. Cause I remember that day being like, boy, my legs are tired. Like I ran two days ago, had to travel in between. Um, but then I ran faster than I've ever run. So, um, I have to have that mindset going into the final of, you know, you're fine, basically, like you're more than capable, you might be sore or whatever. Um, and I've watched a lot of the 1500s at the U S championships and yeah, it could be a sit and kick. It could be like going from the gun. Um, I've just made the decision to go with every move right away. I'm not going to be, um, too patient. Like there's a good kind of patience and then there's a indecision. And so I don't want to be indecisive. Any move I make, I'm going to make it decisively. And just like, if it's just getting up around a break in the pack, like I'm just going to do that. Um, and I think if I make that decision now, it'll be a lot easier in the race to just be like, Oh, they're going. Okay. Me too. That kind of thing, because I don't want to leave anything to chance. I just, I'd rather, um, you know, have a real tough last 200 than be in the back trying to swing out into lane four to get all the way up into qualifying position. So, um, yeah, I think I'm ready for any kind of race. Uh, the, the tactics bit of it can be a little bit nerve wracking, but I have made the decision I'm going with all the moves. So that makes it easier. <laughs> That's it. Committed to the record, ladies yep. and gentlemen. I love that. I can tell exactly. you're ready. The energy is like fizzing <laughs> off you. It's really exciting. And I love that thing you talk about of like, simulating that experience of a race mm-hmm. days off and then going back and racing again. And it's, it's incredible, isn't it? When you bank that kind of that sensory yeah. experience that becomes like a, a real anchor point for you mentally, mm-hmm. when you hopefully are faced with that same situation again. Absolutely. And in the steeple, it's always been hard to do that because thinking about running two steeples in three days is, is crazy. Um, and no one's going to do that during the regular season. So I've always felt like that has been, um, not my strong suit. Like the, the final, it's kind of like, man, that, that first one really takes a lot out of me. Whereas in the 1500, I don't feel that way at all. Um, I feel really confident in the ability to double back. Um, and it's just, you know, it's half the distance and you're not jumping over things. (laughs) It's a lot easier. So, um, (laughs) yeah, but it definitely helps like having done it and done it well, um, already this season. So I, I feel pretty confident in that. And in terms of the championships themselves, like what, what's it like when you're for someone who's experienced it before, like, what's it like when you're in amongst it? Like, what's the atmosphere like mm-hmm. across that weekend? Like, it feels like, well, it is such a pinnacle within us track and field, but just looking at it from a British perspective, I feel like ah, the Americans are better at kind of putting on a show and celebrating <laughs> it more than what we do over here. I'm not yeah. doing down the British champs, which is also this weekend, but I'm just, yes. I'm just curious from like how the Americans do it and maybe what we can learn from you guys. It is kind of like a a spectacle, you know, like even just with, um, within the larger track community of like the NCAA, like just high school kids being super into the U S championships. Um, I think that the U S, uh, does a good job of promoting certain athletes. And so that makes people pay attention. Um, and also, yeah, like when you're here, the like energy is kind of palpable. Like, you know, like, okay, we're here. We're at the, that, at the championships. Um, like today I was with, um, I pre-meted with a friend of mine who this is her first time here. And so I made sure I was like, all right, we have to go over to the stadium. Like, I'm going to show you where everything is. You're going to walk a lap around the track because like, I know what it's like to like walk out there the first time and kind of like look up and be like, Whoa, boy, <laughs> like here we go. So it's good to get those jitters out of the way early on because it can be just distracting more than anything. Like, yes, it's a really cool experience and you want to be able to enjoy it all. But, um, at the end of the day, like you don't want to be thinking about, wow, how cool is this stadium? And all these people staring at me, like, no, we're here to compete and perform well. So that needs to be the main focus. So I think, especially with like younger people or people who are newer to the championships, um, it's important to kind of like get the, like 
uh, shiny stuff out of the way early mm. on so that it's not so distracting when it comes time to like actually compete. And and the sense memory as well, because obviously that stadium was mm. also used for the world champs last year as well. Yeah. Like there's that sort of like a subconscious kind of connection yeah. to it which is an, another kind of additional overwhelming thing for athletes to think about, because obviously this is a stepping stone to the world championships yeah. this year in Budapest as well. Like, do, do you do that a lot with the, with younger athletes where you're kind of trying to yeah. sort of just tentatively kind of reframe maybe what the, mm -hmm. some of the thoughts are they're thinking? Yeah. And so like, you know, anytime we go to like, uh, in college, the NCAA here, there's the regional championships and then there's the national championships. So anytime we go to those big meets, it's like, okay, like pre-meet day, let's get, you know, if you're going to take any pictures, let's get that out of the way. Let's, you know, look at the track, like, you know, act like you belong here, that kind of thing. So, you know, when you have a lot of younger athletes, especially like U20s are here as well, and you can spot the U20 kids from a mile away because they are just like, you hear them whispering to their friend about who they're seeing walk by and all that stuff. And so it's like, yeah, it's a really fun, cool experience, but like you definitely have to, as a coach, um, kind of reframe that for them and be like, Hey, you're one of them too. Like you're here mm. because you made it this far. Like don't get all starstruck. Like you can talk about it later, how cool it was, but, um, you kind of have to get that out of the way early on because it, at the end of the day, like this is a work trip. So, you know, let's focus on that. <laughs> is there anyone that you will or have been starstruck from in your experience? Um, I think now, no, but like my first, like when I came to the trials in 2016, that was my first, um, time at any national championships. Uh, and my roommate ended up making the Olympic team. And I just remember being like, it was the coolest thing ever. Like, she got all the USA gear, like, and just like watching how she went about, you know, the prelim, the semi, the final, like watching how she conducted herself, um, was a real learning experience for me being super young and like never having been to the championships before. And I was like, okay, I have a lot to learn from this way <laughs> on out. But at the same time, I'm like, I still think about that. And that was like, you know, seven years ago or something. Wow. So, um, I think that, you know, that, that stuff is super impactful. I love that. And I, I just love the sense of you being like a bit supporting the younger athletes. And in, in terms of this idea yeah. of, of support, I think for, for a lot of athletes being able to get to the U S championships, there is a level of kind of support mm -hmm. that is required to be able to train and compete professionally. Obviously you work as a, as a coach as well. And there's this fantastic program that, which is kind of one of the reasons that I've connected with you for this podcast, which is the, uh, the amateur support program that Tracksmith are putting together. I mean, yeah. How important are those kind of initiatives for an athlete such as yourself who takes it as seriously as you do to be able to compete at the level you want to? Yeah, I mean, I think it's huge, um, especially, you know, like with younger people just coming out of college who like, like I have a full-time job, not everybody in my position does. Mm. Um, and so like just getting here is really hard. Um, and, you know, it, Eugene is an awesome place, but like finding housing is really hard. And so um, having these support programs like the amateur support program is super helpful just to take some of the stress away of like, where am I going to stay? Like, where am I going to get the money to like go to this meet? You know, that sort of thing. Um, and they just do like great with hospitality, like that athletes really appreciate. Um, and so that's been something I felt super fortunate to have just to have like a collective of people that are all kind of in the same boat has been really fun. And it's a great way to meet people from all over the country that are doing the same thing as you. Um, and those networks are like really important to have, you know, when you're trying to go to all these different meets throughout the season, just knowing other people who are also going is really helpful and can just make you feel a little bit more at home. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that's critical to a lot of athletes in our sport because most people, um, at some point in their career have to make the decision of, you know, am I going to be done after college or am I going to keep going? And, um, a lot of people just decide to not keep going cause it's too hard, you know, like the logistics of it are just too difficult. Um, and there's a lot of talent that just goes unused that way. So, um, of course there's the, you just have to have the drive to want to make it happen. And I think that those people are the ones that are truly suited for the sport in general, but you know, if you're not winning an NCAA title, um, you're probably not getting a contract that's just going to like take care of everything for you. So 
um, any little bit of support is very helpful. And I think that um, brands trying to do things like that for, you know, the people who aren't on huge contracts has definitely like made it possible for people to keep going and just made them feel appreciated. And, you know, I think it's a, a really awesome thing for people to do. Yeah. And I love that sentiment. Like, obviously there is that thing of like, you've got to have the drive and the self-belief, mm-hmm. but sometimes you have to be kind of, you have to be tangible and realistic about things. Yeah. Cause like the way we're living right now, th- things are expensive, things cost money. Yeah. Like, and that there has to be sometimes as well as the, like the self-belief and the mysticism, a sense of practicality of like, mm-hmm. if you don't have to pay for your hotel, like that's, that's a huge kind yeah. of help, right? Huge. Yeah. I love that. Well, listen, I'm conscious that you are ever, ever closer to the competition. You have your first race is, is tomorrow, right? Correct. Okay. Well, hopefully there will be that second race as well. Yes. I am manifesting that for you and that, that sort of uh, that practice, that simulation you had, where which <laughs> will we'll come back and, and, and pose you in, in, in good stead. And I'm conscious I've been, I've been firing lots of questions at you during the course of this conversation, but for the race tomorrow, are there are there any questions that you want to ask of yourself as an athlete and what kind of answers do you think you will provide on the tartan when the gun goes off? Yeah, I mean, I just think that the biggest thing for me is like keeping the confidence in myself like the whole way through, you know, just constantly reminding myself that I am 100% capable of this and that this is nothing I haven't done before. And honestly, the best part is just when the gun goes off and you can kind of just do your thing. So uh, a little less thinking there. So just for me, it's like coming up with a phrase or something to say to myself during the race so that I don't think too much um, and just kind of go with it. And that's why I love the 1500 is because it, I'm just really mentally, I feel super strong throughout it and that, you know, I know when moves will be made and that I'll have the right response. So um, for me, it's just about like carrying that confidence throughout the entire race and not having any moments of like self-doubt or lack of decision. <laughs> Carry that confidence. I think you're carrying yeah. it. I think I can see it. Like there's, there's, there's <laughs> heaps of confidence going in. Well, listen, Alexina, I, I wish you all the best for an incredible US Championships. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat and coming on and being such a brilliant guest on The Big Run. Yes, thanks so much. Been great talking with you. Alexina finished up 13th in her race with a 4.13.37 and sadly won't move through to the final, but I've no doubt she will continue to impress and pursue her craft. Next up, we checked in with a member of the Very Nice Track Club, Nate Milanek. Nate was getting ready for the steeple. He has a PB of 8.28 and lots of exciting potential. Nate, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Really excited to chat to you uh, as we inch closer to the US champs. So we're recording this on the Wednesday, Wednesday evening here in the UK, Wednesday afternoon where you are. How are you feeling this close out to the champs? feel great. I mean, we did our uh, shakeout run today, a couple of strides, um, came down with a little bit of sickness last Friday, not entirely sure what it was. Um, I think it was kind of amplified by some of the conditions we had in Michigan, um, we're affected a little bit by wildfire smoke right now. So, um, Detroit was actually the worst air quality in the world last week. Um, apparently. So yeah, it was an interesting week last week. We had, we were inside pretty much every single day. I came down with something and I think the smoke affected that a little bit, but yeah, got out to Eugene, um, stayed in Portland for a day, kind of like in between and just been resting and trying to relax to get ready for, uh, I mean, first race tomorrow. So, um, yeah, we're kicking it back, trying to take it easy. Um, the very nice crew has a house that we've all gotten together here. So, um, we've kind of got like a nice little place to, yeah, just be able to sit, hang out, cook our own meals and just more or less do what we've been doing back in Ann Arbor. Love that. I mean, race weeks typically, I know obviously the US champs, there's there's a little bit of extra kind of, a little bit of extra sauce for that, this kind of event. But like typically, what does a what does a sort of race week look like for you when you're getting ready for, for a goal race? I mean, really nothing out of the ordinary. I try not to change too much. Um, I think when I was in college, you know, there's a lot more kind of like structure of the travel. So it was kind of easier to have that. But um, I kind of like this loose free flowing structure a little bit more. I've only done two meets so far during the outdoor season this year and had to travel for both of them was in hotels both times. So, I mean, really, I kind of start to dial in thinking about the race. I would say like today, um, 
been kind of just loose all week, not really thinking too much about it or really changing much at all. So yeah, I don't know. I finally started tapering pretty recently, but not really much of a taper. We, we don't really taper. So yeah, but I mean, all in all, nothing's really changed for me. I mean, not working as much at all this week. I uh, took some time off. So um, really, it's just relaxing. I guess yesterday, like run in the morning, take a nap at some point throughout the day, get some food. Today, we got our shakeout in had breakfast together. I just woke up from a nap like literally five minutes ago. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I think we're going to go to a movie tonight. I think we're going to go see the new Indiana Jones movie. Um, once we get back, we're going to have a little cookout and then it's race day the next day. Oh, I mean, uh, apart from the, the racing and the elite level performance and competition, that sounds like a dreamy day. That sounds like a kind of, that's the day I can get on board with a lovely nap. We're going to the movies later. And then we just do a little bit of running tomorrow. That's that, that's yeah. fine. That's that, that's by the by. Um, I'm I'm curious just just listening to to your response there. Like, so you said you you're not working so much at the moment. So you, do you work alongside your running? What's what's the day job for you? Yeah, so I work for a uh, men's clothing company called State and Liberty. Started there actually when I moved back to Ann Arbor. It was kind of the job that I found. Um, started working part time. Um, I went full time for about a year or so. And then I had a pretty decent indoor season this year. Uh, went, yeah, it went really well, but I was missing some practices and stuff. My training just wasn't consistent. So I came to them, um, asked them if I could go more part time. I moved out to Flagstaff for a month and a half. It was my first time ever doing like an altitude type camp. And mm. yeah, it was just kind of the thing I needed to dive into like focusing on making running more of the priority. Whereas like, it's been more, you know, I've been half in one bucket, half in, one other bucket and mm. I just felt like I wasn't giving my best for either thing turned 25 this year and I know I like still very very young but I also felt like if I wanted running to work out I kind of needed needed it to work out so um yeah I work full well was working full-time I'm part-time now in order to kind of fund pretty much all that I'm trying to do right now so mm. yeah man self-funded it's um it hasn't been tough it has not been easy but yeah it's finally starting to click race times obviously were dropping quite a bit kind of get my mojo back and running well again the self-funding thing I think is really interesting because I think there is for people maybe outside of the sport maybe don't quite fully understand how much of the kind of cohort of a lot of elite level athletes are made up mm. of athletes such as yourselves who are at the sharper end of kind of performance and competition, but they're still having to kind of keep them, keep themselves going self and work part-time jobs. And like, it's, it's amazing. I'm, I'm partly one of the reasons I, I connected with, with Nate for this conversation for the, for the listeners full context is partly through the Tracksmith amateur support program. I mean, like th those kind of initiatives, I mean, they've got to be pretty life-saving in terms of just helping you you know, being Eugene this week, ready to to compete at the US champs. Honestly, it's cool, man. It's uh, I actually got signed up for this program like a week ago, um, and it's nice. I finally have some gear that's not from college. I've been running <laughs> in my college gear for the last two years. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't have the money just to go and like spend on running clothes, right? Like, I luckily like have received enough throughout college that I could kind of stack it up and the stuff's been holding up really, really well. I've got a couple of things that my teammates have given me here and there. They always offer, but, um, yeah, self-funded. It's like, you know, outside of buying running shoes, like I just don't spend money on the running clothing because like, it's just, it's just not a priority, right? Like the priority saving, you know, 700 bucks for a plane ticket or like, you know, having money to spend on the hotel or food when I'm actually at the meet. I mean, when I was out in Flagstaff, luckily I had my car out with me. I drove all the way out there. Um, so uh, I was driving around to pretty much all of my meets, but like, you know, there's, there's just, there's just a lot of expenses that come with it. And I think a lot of it too, is just like, you know, the U S is geographically so big and us being more closer to the East coast, flying all the West coast. It's tough, man. There's a, there's a couple of meets I want to do after the U S championships here, but um, I just don't want to fly all the way out to LA for them. It's a expensive plane ticket. Once I get out to LA, you know, you got to pay for Ubers, you got to pay for, um food you got to pay for your hotel and it it just stacks up quite a bit so i mean ideally i run fast enough this weekend hopefully you know i attract some sponsorship uh potential um which would be very very sweet um but yeah sticking to like driving distance meets that's kind of like the tough thing about running the us though i think is that like especially if you're self-funded it's just like plane ticket costs a lot um when i first graduated college and was looking into this like obviously i'm getting no help and originally i thought about moving to the uk just because um yeah london's great there's amateur meets all of the time everything's very very close together like geography is just like so much better being an amateur there but 
Um, yeah, just ended up landing in Ann Arbor with, in my opinion, probably one of the hottest teams right now and some of the most elite runners. And um, yeah, it's just, I can't give that up. Found a job to, you know, kind of keep me there and make it work. And uh, yeah, we're making stuff work. I love that. And I love your attitude and I love, can tell your passion because you've clearly thought of all the options in terms of making it like achievable and accessible. Like, do I move to the UK, the, the geographical component of it? Now you mentioned the the, the, the team that you're you're hanging out with at the moment, I imagine this is the team that you're also going to be going to enjoy Indiana Jones with later. I mean, what's the what's the atmosphere like? What's the group like? What's it like being a member of the very nice track club? Is everyone really nice? Oh, yeah, man, it's goofy. Uh, we <laughs> we mess around a lot. Things don't change on race week. Like nobody really gets too uptight when it comes to like kind of like those high, high intensity uh, times a year. So um, I mean, if you just go watch our YouTube videos, like you'll get a good idea of what we're like. In fact, that's a very, very small snippet. We cut out a lot of stuff because <laughs> like, yeah, there's just, there's too much content to go around, man. But yeah, it's a goofy crew. We like to have a lot of fun and it, it's, it's super light, man. Like, I think the, the big thing when I moved to very nice was, um, Mason, uh, like him and I chatted and um, kind of like the big thing is that like, we don't want the group to kind of be like, you know, your social support system. And I think that's a huge thing. Like I have family and friends cause I'm from Michigan. That's like, um, like I was already living there. That was like probably where my, what life was going to continue. Um, Hobbs is based out of Ann Arbor, family, friends, same thing. Morgan's a Michigan guy. I went to Michigan state family, friends, all in the area. Um, everyone has roots to the area and we have something going on outside of the team. So yeah, we don't spend 24 seven with each other. Um, Hobbs Morgan and I did live together. So we obviously did spend some time together, but you know, we're not like every single night. It's like, you know, it's yeah. Our social like support system is not exclusive to the group, but it is at the same time. Right. Like we're all chummy. We're all buddies. Like we all get along really, really well. Um, but yeah, it's just like, we really emphasize that balance. And I think the other thing that makes us really, really cool is we're not a very closed off group. Um, we've got people who will just come randomly work out with us. I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the, the sort of legendary Ron Warhurst. And I, I remember speaking to Ben about this, but I imagine Ron knows a thing or two when it comes to the, to the U S champs. I'm sure he's, uh, he's, he's experienced many in his time. I mean, have you spoken to him in regards to this week? Have you had any sort of chats with him? Has he given you any kind of advice about how to sort of prepare for this, your first time as a, as a senior competing at these championships? No, nothing, nothing really specific. And I'm sure I'll chat with him a little bit, but like, honestly, I have my race plan. You know, this might be my first USA championships, but um, I've been to two NCAA championships on the track. Um, I understand how the rounds work and yeah, I think I know what it's going to take. Um, I've kind of got a general race plan in mind, um, kind of know like where I need to be when got the idea of the people in my race. And at the end of the day, I just need to, I, I just need to get out and race, man. I, uh, I, I consider myself more of a championship racer. I'm not much of a time trialer. I hate getting in line and just kind of, yeah, letting the race go and just mm. following. So um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a team chaos. So I like to get in there. Um, I'm going to be on some guy's shoulders that I probably shouldn't be on. And, um, yeah, I'm just, my goal is to scare some people. Um, and if I'm able to scare some people, I can get where I need to be and finish the race where I need to be. So, um, no, I, I know I don't have the experience of the USA championships under my belt, but you know, as far as like knowing what I need to do, where I need to be, I mean, no amount of chatting is going to help me out. It, it's just a matter of like getting out there and let my legs actually do it. And then just like, committing man is the end of the day i need to be ready to hurt for six minutes and i need to be ready to hurt really really bad for another two so um it's more of like that mental getting into that mental state of like it's gonna hurt get ready to make it hurt really really bad and then go a little bit further talk to me about team chaos talk to yeah. me about team chaos you can't drop that and expect me not to pick up on it what <laughs> what an incredible name team chaos tell me about it i just yeah, that, that started when i was in uh when i was in college it's just um just a bunch of things like me and my uh buddies were at our like in our like little grade level was uh yeah team chaos we like to shake it up i like uh, i don't like kind of going with the flow i like to make things uh make i like to make people uncomfortable i like to kind of push the envelope push the boundaries and at the end of the day like the, the craziest thing with happening, such as like, you know, the underdog taking it, that's like what matters to me. Um, another, I think a great opportunity of like, I, I'd be, uh, I'd hate to say that like, or I'd hate to not bring this up, but um, I think a great opportunity of like team chaos is like just watching the world cup. Like, you know, that's chaos at the end of the day. It's like these teams that like, you don't expect, you don't expect like some team to come out mm. of a group stage. And then next thing you know, 
um, France isn't getting out of the group stage or like something crazy like that. Mm -hmm. So Team Chaos is really just like, you know, the most unpredictable thing that you could think could happen. That's what I'm going for. So I want to shake it up. My goal is to kind of, you know, blow some guys up, see if I can make somebody, you know, potentially miss making it to that final and getting myself there in the meantime. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's more just like a feeling. Um, but yeah, just kind of like shaking up the world more or less. I love that. I love Team Chaos. And I love that thing of like, it's like anything is possible. Anything can happen. Do you know what I mean? Anything can sort of like the cards can can be dealt in any in any kind of way. But are there things, well, maybe you don't want to share them, but I imagine, well, by the time this podcast goes out, your race would have played out. So there's there's no worry about giving away spoilers, especially for the first round. But like, are there, uh, sure, sure. Are, there are there things, are there tactics you deploy? Like, what is your racecraft when it comes to, when it comes to the steeple? Like, what are things that you like to to bring in to introduce some chaos so really right now me not being one of the top guys you know i i, I kind of just need to play the shocker and just scare some people i think i'm in a good spot where like you know I'm, I'm kind of on the cusp of making it so usually those guys are the most dangerous like this this race for me tomorrow like the prelims my final um and i think just by having like that mentality it's just going to get in the minds of some people i think you know if my race goes to plan um they'll see me tearing down the backstretch and they'll be like what the hell is nate doing like but like, you know, it's like, I, I'm trying to shake things up. I got to make this final. And in order to do it, I got to treat the prelim like a final. So I'm anticipating and, you know, you never know is the thing that like, you know, prelims are the culmination of team chaos. Like you don't know what's going to happen. Like we could get in that race and it could be hot from the gun. If it's hot from the gun, like I'm going to be in line and just trying to grind it out and run as fast as I can, because at the end of the day, that's all I'm going to be able to do. Um, but you know, with the way that like my, my most recent races has been going is, um, usually there's a split happening with me and the rest of the group right around one K, um, in the back of my mind, a lot of me wants to just, you know, at one K rather than going with the group, I want to try to blow the doors off the group. Um, it could very well destroy my race in the process, but like at the end, like, you know, it's, if I'm feeling great on the day, that's what could do it. So I think that, for my race tomorrow, um, depending on how I feel, and I anticipate the race will play out where I'll be with the pack through 2K. It'll kind of split into a group of like five or so people. Um, and then it's either going to kind of stay there or it's going to press and go. Um, regardless, when that ha when that move happens with K left to go in the race, if I feel great, I might try blowing the doors off of it at 800 and just like running as hard as I can until I break. Um, or it's just gonna be a matter of like getting in the group, kind of shuffling some people up and like, yeah, just getting in people's heads, just being there. So, um, I think I'm in a great spot to play like the underdog role and just by being there alone, that should do it. So the steeplechase is a tough one, man. It's not a race where, you know, you can like slow it down, speed it up, slow it down because you're already doing a lot of that just by jumping over the hurdles. Like that naturally speeds you up and slows you down. So um yeah it's a tough one and it just depends on how the race plays out so you know we won't know until we're in it unfortunately team chaos for the win i love it i love it and and that that thing of like that thing you talked about if you're feeling good then you'll go like what is the kind of work that you've been doing to get to that stage where you hopefully will be feeling good in 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 the race like what's a sort of training look like for you preparing for for the steeplechase yeah so this indoor season i think is probably the best thing to use is kind of like that marker um mm. the, the big thing i knew what i was missing was the aerobic side of things um like most of my races i'd be racing really really well but then like by the end of the race like the last 200 meters it'd be die off a little bit so I think the best one is like my mile during the indoor season. I was on track to run like 357. And then I kind of like, I ran like a 33 last lap, which put me at like just barely over four flat. So to kind of like essentially to fix that issue, um, I just needed a bigger engine. Mm. Um, so I went up to Flagstaff for six weeks, pretty much just put in a bunch of miles and tried to grow that aerobic engine as much as possible so that, you know, let's just use the mile as the analogy here. Like that should be a five second swing. Cause rather than closing a 32, I close in a 27, like everyone else normally does. So um, really it's just been growing that aerobic engine um, with the steeple. It's been like um, after my aerobic block. Um, yeah. The race just would split off from me at like 2k. Um, and I'd usually die off a little bit. So my uh, steeplechase opener, it split off hard and I just had no response. Um, ran the race again a week later when it broke off at a K I went with it for a little longer. And after that I had three and a half weeks to get back to Ann Arbor. 
um, and actually do some track work. And I'm hoping that that's kind of, you know, the, that should be the changing factor. Like it's just been a, it's just been a good progression all mm. year. I think that with, you know, running 833 and then running 828 a week later, it's now been three weeks. I've got some more training under my belt, just based on the normal progression. I should drop some time and that quite frankly should be enough to do it. Obviously it is a championship meet and you need to be there mentally. So um, getting there mentally is going to be the last and final step just to kind of like make sure everything happens well. So for the final tomorrow, what does the morning look like? What's the sort of routine for you? You mentioned coffee there and I love that that thing of like elite runners. Like It's like the downing of the double espresso at five, six o'clock and like saying goodbye to what will be like a lovely restorative sleep. The sort of sacrifices yeah. that you trade off for the caffeine intake. So what does the the day like leading up to an A race look like for you? Yeah, so I mean, I, I won't set an alarm. I'll probably end up waking up around like seven o'clock to eight. Eight's usually, that's a good, that's a sleeping day. I usually don't sleep in until eight, even on the East coast, it's eight o'clock's a good time to get up. So, um, yeah, I'll probably get some breakfast in right away. Just kind of hang out, not really do much at all. I'll probably do a shakeout around like noon to one. Um, and that's when like, I would say that like right around noon when that shakeout happens, that's when like the pre-race stuff really, really starts. So, um, go for a shakeout at noon, grab some lunch really quick. Um, take a nap. Uh, probably I'll wake up. I mean, we haven't talked much about this yet, but I'll probably get up a couple hours before the race, have a really cold shower, and then um, I'll intake some coffee as we head over the track. It's probably going to be pretty warm. We're pretty close to the track, which is nice. So we'll probably leave around 30-ish minutes before we start our warm-up. So that's when I'll drink my coffee. Yeah, we'll get to the track, get our warm-up in, nice little 50-minute kind of routine there and then it's race time um and then as soon as the race is done you know quick cool down i'm not going to stress the cool down this time around like i think priority is gonna be like get the race done get back to the house get in bed as quickly as possible and like just do what i can to get to sleep so the caffeine is definitely going to get away of that i was never really a big caffeine person in college um during the indoor season i was drinking red bull before my races yeah, kind of switched to coffee during this outdoor season. It sits well. It doesn't upset my stomach. And um, yeah, it's just, there's no sugar in it either. So I just didn't want to mess with that stuff as well. And yeah, caffeine's nice. So um, just gives you a little bit of the extra, I guess, sharpness. I'm not mm -hmm. sure. Yeah, just, it's, been, it's just been part of the routine and I just don't want to cut it out of the routine at this point. You know, I'd, I'd probably be fine without it in my full opinion, but yeah, at this point, routine's routine. Would like to keep the routine the same and it's been working out. So if it's if it's not broke, don't fix it. 100%. I mean, caffeine is the main reason I think that I get out of bed in the mornings, let alone going for a run and everything else. To, well, you've, you've made friends with it now. Just keep it in your life from one complete caffeine addict to another. I, I strongly recommend that you keep it within. Yeah, yeah. A cold shower, I, I clocked there in, in as part of your routine. Is that part of like your kind of, is that is that just waking you up or is that sort of like kind of a, a sort of bringing down the inflammation? Yeah. Is this like an ice bath kind of vibe? So it's like a cold shock to the system, more or less. Um, when you really kind of get yourself cold on the outside, like full body, it forces your body to internally start to warm itself up. Normally, before I go to bed, I take a warm shower because um, as you're going to sleep, your body is cooling down. So you take that warm shower, elevate everything up a little bit. And then as you're going to bed, it kind of helps with that cool down process. I always thought, you know, as a younger kid, I was always thought I was just like OCD and I just like had to shower before I went to bed. As I went through college, I kind of learned some of like the physiology behind it and like why it's so much easier to go to bed after a warm shower. Um, the cold shower is vice versa. So I guess one thing I was doing for a while is a cold shower in the morning just to kind of like, yeah, A, shock the system, but then naturally get your body to warm itself mm. up more. So that's more of the feeling with the cold shower. Um, yeah, it does like, just by getting into it, you feel way more awake just because it's so cold, but um, your body does start to slowly warm itself up a little bit more. And it's just kind of, yeah, kind of an easy way to push yourself over there. So I, uh, I push that shower to after my nap. Fortunately, I got a nap a little stinky after the, <laughs> after the takeout run, but um, yeah, no, I just set it after um, just a lot of the time. I don't know. I'm not a napper. I, I actually kind of despise naps. Normally I wake up from naps and I feel pretty awful from it. So, um, the cold shower, the cold shower kind of helps just like push you over the edge and get beyond that kind of like crappy feeling. <laughs> I love it. I can see the headline now. Team chaos despises naps. I love it. Oh, uh, you'll, you'll let you'll, oh, don't worry. You'll get older. You'll learn to love them. Um, I, I, you mentioned younger, younger Nate, and I'm, I'm just curious just to sort of close it out. Like, 
Are there still things that you subscribe to from when you were a younger athlete that you still carry with you as an athlete today? Like we're obviously talking about the the cold showers and the new things like caffeine. You used to be Red Bull drinker and and naps you don't like. You used to take now. Are, are there things that you've kept with you? I suppose through your kind of running journey that you still sort of absolutely. I watch uh, I watch Talladega Nights before every single major race. <laughs> if yeah, uh, yeah, I love that film. If you ain't first, you're last. <laughs> so um, yeah, I, I've watched that almost before every single major race since I was probably like a freshman in college. Um, yeah, I mean, like you're stuck in a hotel room all the time, right? And like that was usually just my go-to thing. It was very easy to put on um, just some like nice casual comedy to kind of like cut the time down. I don't do it before obviously every single race, but anytime it's like a bigger one, like it's just, it's just easy. It helps take your mind off the race, especially after you've already kind of locked in, know your plan and you're ready to go. Yeah. You ain't first, you're last. I love that. Ricky Bobby. You ain't first, you last. It's an amazing film and, and John C. Riley as well. Incredible film. I mean, and you've got obviously the new Indiana Jones film to go to tonight. That feels like a, a lovely point to end our conversation on. I won't take up any more of your time because I realize the race is tomorrow and you want to kind of get yourself set. But Nate, thank you so much for coming on, for sharing an insight into your preparation for the US Champs. I wish you all the best. Thank you so much for coming on and being such a, a brilliant guest on The Big Run. Uh, absolutely, man. Appreciate the banter. Hey, I look forward to listening to this podcast as well. It's not every day I get to hear my ugly voice on, the, on uh, any kind of input. So I'm really looking forward to it. Sadly, Nate didn't quite have the legs, partly due to feeling run down from getting sick the week before, but I have no doubt Team Chaos will continue to push for sure. And that's what strikes me about this particular level of competition and for the large cohort of high achieving athletes that make up this huge sway of our sport. They have to be allowed the opportunity to compete to take risks, to try their potential for the sport to flourish. So props to Tracksmith for helping them and giving them the sport so that they can do what they do best. I'm really looking forward to watching the rest of the action play out at Hayward Field over this weekend. And of course, all of the action on UK soil at the British Champs. I'll pop all of that information into the show notes so you can watch all of the action unfold. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. I'm sure you would have seen the post if you follow us on Instagram of the Midweek Mood Board for things to talk about when we're not talking about running. There is a substack where you can dive into more detail about what's shared. So please get involved and get those emails directly into your inbox. And yes, we are also on threads, much to the annoyance of Elon Musk, I'm sure. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for your support. And I'll see you next time on the big run.